Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another hand-picked best of episode of Loose Units. Today, Dad, we are doing one of my personal favorites, actually. Uh, this story was one that you wanted to tell on stage at one of our live shows recently, but uh, we knew we were going to be playing it for you now. It's called The Cat Burglar, and it took place at a very strange-looking building up the top of uh, Manly, where we used to live. Mm. Um, this story is genuinely incredible. Uh, it's, why it's, is it one of your favourites? Well, <clears throat> well, I was directly involved in this. In fact, I was working at the Central Fingerprint Bureau, and I was called into the morgue, and I was confronted with something that I'm not going to tell you about because you have to listen to the podcast. Okay. Suffice to say that... The we make references to uh, pizzas mm-hmm. in this particular story, and I think that's enough of a teaser. Okay, it's a really, really messed up story. Uh, interestingly, it involves a type of crime, uh, i.e., cat burglary, that I don't think ever gets mentioned again on loose units. Mm. It's a really strange wing of the kind of criminal mansion. Generally speaking, violent crimes are kind of tragic and sad. And whilst this is tragic, it's so strange and so unprecedented that I think you're really going to enjoy it. So. Whether you've heard it before or whether this is your first time, please sit back and enjoy The Cat Burglar. How are you doing, Dad? <clears throat> I'm really good, Paul. How are you? I'm okay. Excellent. Uh, last week's episode was an absolute ball terror. Mm. Uh, it sounds very, very ball painful. Ball terror. I wonder what that actually is. I think that means actually having your testicles torn off. I would say it would be more the, the, uh, the, the, the sack would be torn and the balls would just drop out. Drop out. Mm. Probably going to bleep all of that. And if I haven't bleeped all of it, I'm so sorry. Every week we talk true crime from the 80s. Uh, In season one of Loose Units, Dad talked about his time in general duties. And in the book Loose Units, he talked about his journey throughout the police. But this season is forensics. And obviously this season has gone to some pretty damn dark places. But uh, this week, this week the prompt you've scribbled down doesn't seem that that gritty and sensational. I'm, I'm sure you're going to prove me wrong, uh, but you've just written Man in the White Overalls. Mm, yes, um, this is a great story. Yeah. In Do fact, you... all my stories are pretty good. Well, you've... I think. Yeah, sure. Yep. Humble as ever. Yep. Well, they are. They're actually, I think they're bloody fantastic. <laughs> no, no, seriously. They're, they're Sue. They're Sue. They're even, not Sue, as in the Sue Indians, but they're so bizarre. Oh, God. Um, all right. So, uh, I was at the morgue which I spent a lot of time there. Yeah. Probably, you know, I used to spend probably half a day a week. Can you just talk... Okay, a lot of people, obviously, in um, in the Loose Units book, we talk about your first time visiting a morgue. Mm. But most people, I would say mercifully, haven't actually had to go to a morgue. <laughs> no. And now... Um, you spent most of your time, I'm assuming, still at the uh, the big one, Glebe? 
Yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. So... So it was opposite Sydney University. It was like, a fairly... The, the coroner's court uh, were there and then out the back. So you drive into a side street out the back. Yeah. And you had what was called the police room, where all the police would be, funnily enough. And um, basically, uh, you know, you'd go to a deceased and you'd follow the body and you'd get involved. This is when you were in general duties and it was all just, you know, fairly basic. You'd have a viewing. You might have family come and identify the deceased. Mm. But that was that side of it. But then the forensic side of things was very, very different. So in my first um, foray into the morgue, as you know, when I was at the academy, they yeah. took us there and got we got to see, you know, multiple bodies on, on these slabs, I guess you'd call them, mm. uh, undergoing postmortems, which is a fascinating process that we did discuss uh, at length. But when I got in, uh, involved in the identification of, of people, because there are lots of people that pass away through various, um, you know, circumstances, and a lot of them don't have ID on them. Now... This was a really interesting case where there was this guy um, I was confronted and he was actually wearing all his clothes that was really weird at the morgue. So it was pre him being stripped down. Mm. But the story behind how he ended up at the morgue was interesting to say the least. Mm. And my job that day was to fingerprint him. So I was confronted with a man deceased he looked about 40 he was super fit you could tell even in death that he really looked after himself don't the muscles slacken or something no this is only like hours after he'd passed away oh okay okay and uh so i'll I'll now fill you and the listeners in with the backstory great which is fairly bizarre there was um a block of apartments in manly uh which is a coincidence really i mean i lived on the northern beaches but this particular guy, he was uh, a professional cat burglar, the old school. He was fit. He was a career criminal. And his MO was to scale the outside of apartment blocks. And in this particular case, this particular apartment block in Manly was about 20 stories high. Do you remember the specific building? Yeah, it was called the Carillion. And whereabouts is that in Manly? It's on the Eastern Hill in Manly. And it's a magnificent Eastern Hill up near the hospital with uh, commanding views over Sydney Harbour. Yeah. And it's a triangular building. Oh, I know the one. Yeah. It's a beautiful building. Stunning. Now, the weird thing is when you look at the building, it's at least 20 floors uh, with perhaps three or four apartments on every floor. But at the bottom, so not on the ground level, but on the first level, the first level all around has extended balconies. Now, they're the only people in the entire building yeah. that have... They can actually walk out. Like everyone above, they, they open a sliding door and they walk onto a tiny balcony. But yeah. these particular apartments, they walk out onto a magnificent garden. And you would actually... You would look up and see all the other balconies... Correct. ...like push back a little bit. Exactly. Walk, okay, great. Exactly. Yeah. Now, this particular cat burglar... Um, okay, look, I'm just going to move away a little bit from that and just... <laughs> Put you in the picture. Yeah, yeah. Around about four o'clock in the morning, a resident on the first floor, so this is a resident with the extended balcony, they heard a thud. (laughs) So they're lying in bed and they hear this thump. And they woke up and then they went back to sleep. Right. And then an hour or two later, 
the person goes out into the kitchen and they're having we're getting ready for a morning cup of tea mm. they look out onto their private courtyard which is made up of they've got lots of cactus mm. plants and they have got hundreds of thousands of beautiful polished tiny little pebbles probably millions of them to create this amazing sort of desert uh, dry garden. Mm. It's very decorative. And the person is looking into their garden and they see lying down in their garden what appears to be a man. But they could only... It looked as though one arm... They couldn't quite see one arm. So he's lying there, one arm to the left, but his right arm, they just couldn't see it. And that particular person looked at this person and thought that it was a plumber. And he had his hand, they thought, down a drain. Okay. And he's clearing a blocked drain. This story gets really weird. Great. Um, and the person then goes and has breakfast. And uh, they come back and they look out the window. The plumber's still there. Not only is the plumber still there... But the plumber is in exactly the same spot. So this person opens the uh, the sliding door and goes out and does what most people would do. He, he says to the person, oh, you're, you, you're right there, mate? And there's there's no response. Then the, the occupant of this particular apartment reaches down and shakes the person and realises that they're not moving. And then And here's a pretty depressing part of the story. He then rolls the person back. Now... What he saw was a very large, basically, homage to the rockery. In other words, this guy had fallen from probably, let's estimate, because I got to see the guy's face later on. Um, he had fallen, I'd say, from between 10 and 15 floors and landed on his face hmm. in the garden. So his face had actually, it looked like a part of the garden. It had... Hundreds and hundreds of little stones embedded in his face, and the face was flat. You had to see it to believe it. It uh, you you recall a few episodes ago, I made reference to a pizza. Yeah, everyone everyone really enjoyed that one actually. <laughs> well, the thing is, um, this guy, and can you imagine the poor occupant? Can you was the occupant? Um, for some reason, I'm picturing an older lady. No, no, it was a guy. Young guy, old no, guy. No. Elderly guy, poor guy. God damn it. And he just rolled him over and saw this pizza face man right. lying there in these white overalls, pristine overalls, might I add, like really white. Where'd the blood go? There was no blood. Nothing. The case of the bloodless man. Yeah. Where, where, but where's the blood go? Oh, it's all internal. But I'm saying when a face gets smushed that much. No, like, it's amazing. But when you've talked about the way, when for every reaction, there is an equal and opposite. React, you know, mm, there's like, not always blood. Look, in this particular case, he, he broke some bones, mm. he broke his femur that actually punched through. But the guy wouldn't have seen that until he'd rolled him over completely. But the femur, which is the big bone between the, the hip and the knee, it had punched through the uh, the material, which is amazing. Gross, anyway. So, well, I, I get to the morgue, and my job is to identify this guy. Mm. Now, there was a female police constable, and uh, her offsider had said to her, Now, I want you to search this guy. And I was standing in the room watching her and she searched the guy, but I was very aware that she didn't go near his groin, which you might think, well, but 
she's her job is to search this guy thoroughly, but she completely avoided his groin. Now, at this point in the story, you're thinking, well, yeah, so what? Well, what happened next was that one of the uh, morgue attendants came in and in front of us all used these special scissors and they cut his all his clothing off to expose this guy super fit in his underwear and then I looked down at into the sort of the groinal area. Mm. If there, is there such a word as groinal? There is anyway, now. Yeah. Cool. And uh, I saw what appeared to be a uh, a box, and furtively someone managed to pull his underpants down and remove this small can of strepsils. You know, strepsils used to come in cans. I don't know whether they still do. Mm. And inside, and we all sort of looked around. And then they opened up the, the can of strepsils and it was full of the most incredible jewels. Not the crown jewels that had been... Re- <laughs> That's a, sorry, but you're with me. Stay with me. So the thing is that it was embarrassing for the female police officer. She hadn't done the search properly. Yeah. These jewels, can you imagine if they had have been kept with the body? Which I guess they wouldn't because they completely strip them down and mm. do the post-mortem. But it's a, a classic case. And these were the spoils of his night's work. And he'd been in, what he used to do, he used to target high rise and scale the buildings, go in, because people leave their sliding glass doors open because they're they, living up high. They don't assume anyone's going to come in the way. No, and this guy, he'd go in, he'd uh, generally go straight to the front door yeah. to see if the deadlock had been activated, which no one activates, because mm. effectively you'd be locked in. And uh, he, anyway, on this particular occasion, they may have had the deadlock activated and he was leaving, he'd, he'd, he'd stolen... You know, some really nice stuff. He, he had an impeccable taste. He was really, really knowledgeable when it came to jewellery. Mm. Very discerning. And uh, he he slipped and he fell. And uh, well, he died. And he died. If he fell... I'm just confused as to how he fell face first if he was presumably climbing backwards. Like... <laughs> Paul. What? Have you ever seen people fall? Thankfully, no. Well, I'm guessing they tumble a bit. Yeah, look, that's why I'm thinking it would, it would have been pretty high. So yeah. imagine if he fell and then he would have perhaps turned himself around. And that takes a few floors. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it takes around about 10 seconds to reach terminal velocity, can which we, is 9.8 meters per second. Let's read. Let's, okay, that's very specific. Let's do a quick, just a quick sidebar. Hmm. You've mentioned this in passing, but I think it's worth noting, and this is a decent segue because you're talking about falling speeds. Mm. You were a skydiving instructor. Not an instructor. What level did you get to? You were I a... did 1,100 jumps. Right. I was in a four-man team. Okay, okay, okay. So you were like semi-professional? You were like well, a... I was into it big time. It was my life for quite a few years. So one time, I think I'd had a drink or two, and I came back home, and someone had been talking to me about... There's the start of a Bond film. I think it's maybe Moonraker where... He jumps out of a plane without a parachute mm. and tries to kind of like form a like a slipstream and go after a guy, grab his yeah, shoe. Yep, yep. And I said to you, Hey Dad, if I ever fell out of a plane or was thrown out of a plane and you just said you'd die. And I said, Yeah, but let's say I didn't die. And you said, Well, no, you you would die. And I said, Let's just pretend in a magical world I don't die. And he goes, Whatever, all right. Uh, and I said, So when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. What can I do midair yep. to increase my chances of surviving? Mm. And you said, first step, aim for a freshly plowed field. Correct. Now, I don't know what they look like. Mm. Well, I can't discern the, the freshness of the plow from that Paul, height. the reason I say that is that I was in the Nationals at Corowa many years ago, and a guy actually had a major malfunction, and mm. he actually survived by aiming for a freshly plowed field. I mean, that sounds weird. Was freshly ploughed by his body as no, it no, ploughed no. into but the you ground. Know, you know what a ploughed field? It's got these sort of ridges, peaks, and troughs. Oh, okay. And it's it's ploughed, and and he and he only broke his hip. Huh. And and he and there is a certain shape you can where you pretend you're sort of lying on top of a big beach ball, and that slows you down. So you've got sort of the maximum speed in skydiving if you're in a sheer dive is about two hundred miles an hour. And the slowest you can slow yourself down is about 75, 80 miles an hour. So there's a fair, you know, and people have survived. Um, and there are people that do jump out of planes yeah. with no parachute. Uh, and then they've got a friend that'll meet them down. You know, I mean, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, like they'll, someone will pass a parachute. and I mean, it's, that's stressful. But just a few months ago, and people can Google this because it sounds unreal, is that a guy in America le- jumped out of a plane with no parachute and landed on a trampoline. And that's a fact. Are you serious? 100%. Really? And it's amazing. Or was it just like some person's backyard trampoline? No, it was a big trampoline. Like a big one? Huge. Presumably. Out in the desert. And his poor mum was watching. That I'm, would have been traumatic for her. I mean, like when your kid's messing around on a trampoline, the stakes are really that high. Mm. Um, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, was this trampoline built specially? Specifically. But right. it's incredible, isn't so it? So wasn't it wasn't like a run-of-the-mill no, trampoline. true. Because Okay, I, I you see what take, I'm point taken. It was very large, but really... anyway, it worked. Yeah, because that's a big thing to jump out of a plane with no parachute. Did you ever um almost have a you ever have any major mishaps? I had three malfunctions. You want to talk us through some? Mm, the first one, I was skydiving with a guy, an SAS commando. It was a Friday afternoon. There was no one there to see it. It was my first malfunction. One of the lines wrapped around caused what's called a May West, which looks like a bra. Started to spin me around uncontrollably. I would have come in and been killed, mm. but I cut away from the main. Went back into free fall, then deployed my reserve. That's the first one. Second one, I was testing out a... Uh, um, I was going to buy a uh, an altimeter, and I wanted to test it. Is that to gauge how high up you yeah. are? Yeah, it tells you what time to sort of break away. If you're in a, if you're in a formation at 3,500 feet, you break away. You max track out at 45 degrees to get away from everyone in your group. Then you... Just for some alone time? Yeah, well, it's safety mm-hmm. to be away from everyone else because you don't want to pop your canopy when you're around other people. Right. And then at two and a half, you deploy your main, which still gives you time if you've got a problem. So I was trying out this guy's um, altimeter. I was going to buy it if it was good, and it failed. And uh, I was uh, I I was the last person out of a DC-3. There were about 60 of us at the 
nationals. And I went sailing past, flying past everyone who'd already gone out and were under canopy. And I flew past them and I opened up my main at about 500 feet because the altimeter got stuck on about 3,000 feet. And if I had have had a malfunction at 500 feet, yeah. cut Did... away, I would have died. And then the third time, seeing you've asked this, yes. is that I was um, skydiving at Wilton and I was... Uh, I had what was called hesitation, which means your main canopy, um, there's an area of low resistance behind your back. Like it's an area where there's the air's flying either side. And my what happens with this, um, in skydiving, you pull out a tiny little parachute. It's called a drogue chute. And oh. then it catches the air. Then it drags the main canopy out. That's cute. And the I, I dragged out the, the little one, the, like the, you know, the, the drogue, and it, and it, it it was sort of it was hesitating and it it sort of was caught on my back in this area where there's no wind <clears throat> so it's not going to it needs wind to pull it out to then pull the main out well but typically anywhere behind you's got a lot of wind yep <clears throat> and um <laughs> so what happens in that situation <clears throat> you turn around yeah <clears throat> excuse me you turn around to look behind you and then when you turn that enables the air to pick up pick up the uh yeah. the, the the drogue and, and then and so I'd had three malfunctions, and that was the day that I decided that I was never going to jump out of a plane again. I um I went to Vegas for a press trip about five years ago, and there's a hotel in Vegas called the Stratosphere, which is just outside of the Vegas city limits. Because um, you've got New Vegas with all the new casinos and the older casinos, and then there's a long, long, long road. And then there's this thing called the Stratosphere, and it's basically a 900-foot-high sky needle right? The casino is at the base of it. There's a restaurant at the top, like on a disc, but they've got a little, um, like a gangplank on the top mm. and you can jump free fall. So they attach two cables to your back. You walk out onto the plank and the cables are like hundreds of um, feet in either direction fastened to this thing. And then they let you fall, free fall. And then very close to the ground, they turn the brakes on the two cables mm. and that kind of mm. tightens up mm. and lowers you to the ground. Amazing. And that was 900 feet. Yep. Halfway down, I felt like I was about to hit the ground. Mm. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to have to deploy a, a chute that high. Um, well, look, I've jumped out of a DC-3 from 18,000 feet. What's a DC-3? Like an old sort of, like a, a like a war plane, but, okay. you know, held about 60 people. And they take all the seats out, up you go, and then everyone just sort of runs out and screams, Geronimo, as you go out the back door, and it's, it's exciting. Yeah. But that gave me around about 80 seconds freefall. That's over a minute, and that's a long, long time. And when you're coming towards clouds, really, really, it's all relative. You don't, you know, if you look at skydivers just falling, they're just falling like stones in the air. But if you're up there, yeah, and you, and it's, it's, it's different, and it's amazing, and it's a really high, high adrenaline, exciting sport. But, but those days are gone for me. Do you find what's it like for you? What, what is the sen- Can you describe the sensation of falling? There um, is no sensation of falling. What do you mean? Well, when you jump out of a plane, yeah. you're jumping out of a moving object. So you're actually, if you can imagine, you're actually, you're jumping out of something that's already got forward momentum. Yeah. So when you leave the aircraft, you're actually traveling at the speed of the aircraft. So you're not, if you jump out of a balloon, like you step off or you jump out of a helicopter, you experience that horrendous sensation of shit, yeah. like a roller coaster on speed. That's what I felt, yeah. Yeah, but I, you don't in skydiving unless, as I said... Because, you know, it's logical when you think about it. Yeah, you're yeah. actually leaving a, a moving object. I always got confused when we were watching like a fight scene in a movie and people are on the top of a train. I always thought that if you jumped in the air... You, I understand. You would, the train would leave you. would you. stay still, but, but you're traveling at the same yeah, speed. As, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird. But what I'm trying to approximate is, and I know this might sound grisly, but I think it's useful. 
to try and figure out how it would have felt for the cat burglar as he fell 20-odd stories. It would have felt completely, in that moment, he would have been totally aware of what was happening. And there are only two things you can do. You can either, um, look, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, oh, fuck, it'd be bad. Yeah. And you'd, I think it'd be, in that moment, uh, you'd feel pretty bad. Look, oh, who knows? But it's just shit. And then you, you, you land and thank God, you hope that he, he died. You know, I'd hate to think that he lay there for. It's possible he could have. He could have been there for an hour or two in, in incredible agony. But they we could, don't know. They couldn't have helped him. It sounds like. It sounds. No. You know. But but as I said, people in the Second World War they jumped out of um, mm-hmm. you know Lancaster bombers on fire mm. with no parachutes and survived. It's pretty mental. I just. I mean, I think a lot of people have recreationally jumped or fallen out of things or fallen off things and had accidents. I just hearing that story. It's actually one of the lighter stories from this season, but it really did fill me with this kind of dread of like, yeah, but what it would it, what would it have been like to? I think maybe if it was dark, it would have helped a little bit. You wouldn't. Yeah, maybe. Look, it's just it's look. Who knows? It's just it's you terrifying. Know, you don't want to dwell on these things. No, it's terrifying. Um, well, look, I would love to uh, have you answer some questions from listeners if you're up for mm, it. Yeah, go for it. This one's a bit of <laughs> this one's a this one's a bit intense. Um, Sam McCann asks, what's something that's unresolved that you still think about? Uh, well, Sam, that's a really good question. Um, I, I'll answer it really, really briefly, but then you'll get to hear a story in another episode, Sam, because it's a particular murder I went to of a prostitute. So that's pretty well unresolved. So you'll get to hear about the story of the prostitute found in the bushes and Sam, you'll know that that's the story. So you're saying, Sam, I can't tell you that Not right now. Not at this now. stage, because there's a whole episode based on that particular case. Okay, so um, we'll deal with that one in a coming episode. Yep. Uh, well, let's find another question then. Okay, another question. Adam Swanick has asked, how did you make the switch from general duties policing to working in forensics? Specifically, were there any hazing-type rituals that newbies were subjected to? Really, really good question. Um, the ritual was simply to go there and go to all those horrendous crimes that you really hadn't seen in their entirety in general duties. So GDs, you get to go in and you see something and then you, you leave. And right. You call in the experts. All of a sudden, you're on the other end where you're the guy that's being called in to actually go in and sit there in situ with perhaps three or four bodies uh, that, and you're sitting there on a chair and they're at your feet, you and your mate, trying to get into the whole vibe of... And it's, and it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Uh, because you can't just look. You've got to, you know, if you could walk into a room like you know, we're in the studio, and, and I'm I'm fascinated by all all the gadgets, the gizmos, you know, the way it's set up, and and I'm a very visual person, so I can walk into a room, pretty well any room, and I can spend maybe uh, maybe twenty seconds in a room, yeah, and then I can go out, and then I could sit down and pretty well describe to you in some detail every single item in that room. Now that's training. So I'm a very visual person. You know, I can do that really, really, really easily, but I cannot remember people's names. <laughs> no, it's, it's a fact. I know. I can't I, remember people's names. I've it's seen, embarrassing. I've seen it happen. Yeah. You know. So, you know, it's a, it's a matter of what type of brain you've got, how you choose. And I think if you're talking about, you know, files inside your brain, you know, names don't take up a lot of space. But my, my sort of hard drive is very visual. So it's got, it's got so much information in there, but yeah. it's a visual, which takes up a lot of memory. That's okay. my analogy. So I guess 
Right, so you're saying that the job was punishment enough. Very much so. But okay. they didn't have any. Look, I know that in the, in the tactical response group and, and certain other squads, they, they had certain, you know, uh, what would you call it, uh, initiation. Did they? Oh, God, yeah, but that's, you know. Did they? Yep. Well, TRG did. You hear, ever hear anything about anything? Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that. Why not? Because it's not, it's not my business to talk about that. You can, you can, you've talked about worse than that. Yeah, but that's, you know, I, did, I wasn't there, it's hearsay. Sure. I guess I'm trying to figure out whether um, hazing was a, was a frequent thing in the police force, you know. Mm. Yeah, I, we, we discussed that in general duties. I discussed, remember that time when the, the, the young policeman was thrown up against the, uh, the drinks machine at North Sydney? Nope, never told that story. Haven't I? Nope. Do you want to tell it now? It's a, bit, it's a flashback to the... Uh, it's a flashback. But that's fine. We'll flashback to general duties. I think it's, yeah. I think it's well, worth Well, so this young constable, who was a lovely guy, and he was, he was sweet and kind of looked, you know, he looked, well, it's hard to sort of describe, but he, he looked sort of, oh God, dare I say it, innocent, if there's such a thing. And he was about 20, mm. and he had blonde hair. He sort of looked sort of Nordic and sweet and, you know, very kind of inoffensive, I mm. suppose you could say. And uh, a senior police officer, we had to parade um, at the back of the station at North Sydney. This is like weird going way, way back to GDs in the first days. Mm. I mean, you talk about, you know, bullying and stuff like that, but um, I remember that um, we were all lined up and this, this this was this young guy's first shift from the academy and um, a senior police officer came up and turned him around and spun him, sort of spun him around 180 degrees in front of us all and threw him up against um, a drinks machine and sort of simulated sort of sodomy with this guy. <laughs> On his, yeah, on his first, first day. day, yeah. So that's pretty, you know. I have a real... My first day at high school at St. Paul's in um, in uh, Manly, um, my first day, uh, the year 12s maybe stand at the back of the buses that kind of wound <laughs> down these insane hills and any time I touched anyone or anything for support, they would uh, punch me in the chest mm, or the kidneys. Disgusting. That school uh, was uh, was pretty... Um, bad place. Yeah, bad, people. bad place. And, and yeah. you know, that was... Very, very bad. I think we've talked on this show before about what, what it was like being a parent and having a kid who was bullied, but knowing that you were a cop and having a like an innate drive to f- pursue justice. But I'm pretty sure we've already dealt with that topic. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, if you go back and listen to season one, you'll hear all about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just, it must be weird though, flashing back to general duties after, because right now you're kind of situated psychologically right in the middle of forensics, right? Mm, like, yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, we've got some amazing, amazing stuff coming up later this season, and we're going to keep answering your questions. But in the meantime, uh, I think that's all the time we have for this episode. So thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, proudly brought to you by Pillow Talk Productions. It's not long now until our live show. We've only got a few tickets left, seriously. So head online and grab your ticket to Loose Units live right now. Like pause the podcast. You're back? Great. I assume you bought the tickets. We'll be signing copies of Loose Units, the book. So if you haven't already got your copy, you can go and order one um, via Big W or at penguin.com.au or um, you can grab one off us on the night. And we will sign up for you. We'll actually dedicate the book to you. Thanks for everyone who's been getting in touch. And we'll see you next week for more Loose Units. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. 
so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.